podcast about product management, user experience design, technology, and more. This is Product by Design. All right, welcome back to another episode of Product by Design. I am Kyle, and today we're joined by another excellent guest, Gopal. Welcome to the show. Hi, Kyle. Delighted to be here. Awesome. Well, we are excited to have you. Let me introduce you really quickly, Gopal, and then we'll have you kind of tell us a little bit more about yourself. But Gopal is CTO and head of Sust Global, a climate and data startup, uh, enabling corporations, financial services, and NGOs to make climate resilient decisions and sustainable investments, which I'm excited to talk about because I think that's a really, really important topic. And previously, he led analytics engineer and the analytics engineering team at Planet Labs, an aerospace company that operates history's largest commercial fleet of Earth observation satellites, which sounds really, really intriguing as well. But why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yes, to all of you listening, very delighted to be here. Thanks for tuning in. So I'm a geodata scientist uh, who started his career in electrical engineering. So I spent the early years of my career in multimedia. And around 10 years ago, got really interested in the application of uh, deep learning and AI-powered techniques in the space of computer vision and on rich geospatial uh, data sets. And uh, initially started exploring public data sets emanating from the European Space Agency and uh, NASA. And through a serendipitous sequence of events, uh, ended up uh, leading the analytics engineering team at Planet Labs. So Planet operates the largest constellation of uh, Earth observation satellites uh, and for, uh, for medium resolution imagery. And through their constellation, they have products which are almost like uh, weekly and monthly mosaics of the world. Uh, think of it as Google Earth uh, every uh, every month, uh, and that just created a fair bit of like rich imagery. So one of the things uh, my team helped stand up over there were rich value added insights that provide time series as well as summarized. Uh, analytics and insights to audiences where uh, there was no native geospatial data transformation expertise. So the ability to get insights from Earth observation data without being an Earth observation expert was what we focused on. And uh, along the way, the last few years, I got really interested in the changing climate and how that's impacting human activity, urban activity, and uh, nature-based capital and uh, remote sensing seems to be, I've always maintained this worldview that remote sensing is one dimension, which is more on the historic side, telling you what happened in the past and climate modeling is uh, where the expertise around what happened in the future resides. So bringing those two worlds together, frontier climate modeling for forward-looking predictive analytics and uh, remote sensing derived uh, data and insights for historic and retrospective analysis uh, to a common shared set of uh, primitives on the compute side is what we've stood up as a product and we are selling in the market today. So uh, that's that's been uh, an inspiration so far. Awesome. I'm excited to talk more about those because I think that this, it's a really, really interesting topic and probably a lot to dive into. But before we do that, 
why don't you tell us a little bit more about what you like to do outside of the office when you're not, you know, looking at uh, data modeling or, 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 or any of these things that, you know, we're kind of going to talk a little bit more about. Yeah, outside of uh, work, you know, uh, we live in like a very uh, rich environment here in the Bay Area, in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area in California, uh, United States. So uh, being out in nature is something I definitely uh, enjoy. I feel like I get my best ideas there. And uh, over the course of the last few years, I've uh, been taking up more of like water, sport, uh, related activity and uh, um, sports like tennis, uh, racket sports like tennis and squash. Those are things that I play. So those are some of my uh, uh, non-work related uh, pastimes. Have you gotten into pickleball? I know that that's a growing popular sport across, I know across our area, but I, I don't know if that's uh, gotten popular in uh, in the Bay Area yet. It's getting more popular here. So I'm seeing more and more uh, venues where uh, folks are playing uh, pickleball. Uh, I personally haven't picked it up much. Well, I, I I've even seen like I've seen like a whole bunch of news articles and in, in the growing popularity of it. So I'm I'm interested in in just how popular it is across. But I am also a tennis player. That's that's probably of all the racket sports my absolute favorite, and I'm definitely the most passionate about it. So um, that's a super great one. I've my son and I. Uh, when it's warm out, like to play tennis. That's probably our favorite one. So that's that's a great one. I, I want to dive in a, a little bit more to some of the things that you mentioned um, about your background and what you're working on now, some of the things you have been working on in the past. But maybe you can start by telling us a little bit more about Sust Global and how you're using data to help companies understand climate risks and incorporate those into their modeling and opportunity analysis, because that sounds really interesting, you know, how you're incorporating both, you know, past information and future modeling in order to help companies and organizations make decisions uh, in order to both uh, help prepare them and, and maybe identify opportunities. So what, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, today more than uh, any time in the past, there's a tremendous awareness in terms of what the climate is doing to the physical systems and to human activity. Uh, and that broader understanding has led to the desire for, a broader awareness has led to a desire for greater understanding of what uh, how climate impacts businesses. One of the big drivers of the last uh, of increasing use of climate related data and analytics in the corporate landscape has been regulatory or voluntary reporting amongst uh, organizations, uh, largely driven by the TCFD or the Task Force for Climate Related Disclosures. And uh, uh, recent uh, directives from a few world governments in terms of how physical risk is reported to the public. Uh, when it comes to aspects of the business. So uh, before I get into specifics, I feel like there are three dominant use cases that we love to enable teams with. The first one is uh, reporting. So if you want to report on the risk uh, to your business and your tangible assets uh, on the ground to the changing climate and uh, channel that to your stakeholders and your investors, uh, these regulatory or semi-regulatory frameworks help you on that. So we enable uh, that capability. 
The second one is uh, second use cases around risk management. So once you know the risk, how do you manage that? And how do the steps you take towards um, managing the risk actually manifest into improvements in terms of your risk profile and reduction of your risk exposure? And the third use case is around a new product. So across different aspects of um, nature-based capital, real estate, as well as financial uh, financial products, we have seen the desire towards creating climate-informed products and climate-aware business decision-making. So those new products and new instruments uh, can use clean, validated data uh, into how they model workflows. So that's the third use case uh, or third outcome. So we stood up uh, an API and a dashboarding product uh, that serves into all these three use cases uh, and uh, across different markets. So we've gone, uh, we focused on a few specific verticals, be it real estate, uh, financial data, and uh, nature-based capital solutions. And uh, in all of them, there is a desire on these three dimensions, which is report on risk, uh, manage potential financial loss and exposure, and uh, uh, create new capabilities that previously didn't exist. Got it. So I'm curious, you, you mentioned, you know, kind of focusing in on, you know, some specific verticals or specific market areas. You know, how do you go about identifying you know, those, uh, those verticals or the, or those market areas that, you know, maybe you want to focus on first, because I, I assume that, you know, each probably has, you know, um, specific needs or, um, you know, specific things that they're focused on. And, you know, obviously when you're looking broadly at the, the whole market and, and the way that everybody is, is working on, on you know, risk analysis and everything, um, you know, as a company, as, as data analytics, you, you kind of have to, you know, focus on specific areas first and, and probably get those right. Uh, and then kind of move to, uh, you know, to new ones. How, how do you go about that? You know, how do you think about focusing and then building for different verticals and, and, you know, what's kind of the prioritization that you use to think of through, you know, here's how we're going to uh, focus on, on this vertical or, you know, this market segment, and then here's how we're going to leverage what we know and, and what we've done in order to now build out for new market segments or, or new, or new market verticals. Yeah. Uh, great question, Kyle. I feel like that's fundamentally how we think about, uh, product management in this space. The benefit we've had trying to build this product and these set of capabilities in the market today is that there's an existing suite of products that, that that are served into the market, albeit with limitations, albeit with some legacy which is limiting how they are used. But there's been some market uh, definition already. Uh, and there are an increasing number of stakeholders who are paying attention to physical climate risk data into these venues. And uh, that's helped us identify, okay, here are certain kinds of teams and certain user personas that can benefit from having data with these differentiated features and can benefit from very specific set of product features that don't exist uh, today in the market. So we've largely gone after an understanding of what stakeholders are doing 
what their desirables are. And this is largely been through customer discovery, uh, deep understanding of their workflows, uh, how they are looking at the problem and connecting our outputs into those outcomes that they're seeking. So when it comes to some of these, uh, these specific uh, verticals, we've done a lot of discovery in being deliberate in terms of not going after too many verticals simultaneously. Even though when you talk about foundational climate data, you can go to many verticals uh, and picked a few which where there is a fair bit of early adopters and there is enough maturity to understand the proposition and to be able to discriminate solutions based on the proposition we uniquely serve. What if I told you that a year from now you could finally get that chief creative officer promotion, lead a larger team, and have your CFO finally understand the value of design? It all starts with Future London Academy's MBA for Design Leaders. During our five two-week modules in London and California, You'll be in the same room with creative leaders from around the world, learning, collaborating, and sharing laughter and tears. You'll go behind the scenes of the top design agencies and most inspiring companies while receiving bespoke mentorship from CEOs, CFOs, and design leaders from Dropbox, Pentagram, Wolf Olins, Zaha Hadid Architects, and many others. With Future London Academy, you're here to erase borders, question everything, inspire others, ignite ideas, make friends, challenge the impossible, start a movement, invent solutions, think differently, change the world, and never, never stop learning. Become one of the 30 change makers today. Apply now at bit.ly slash chief designer. That is bit.ly forward slash chief designer, or check out the show notes for the link. You've kind of talked about, you know, what you see as uh, some of the the most important things or, or the biggest risks that companies are are looking at. And you talked about, you know, some of it really being around the reporting and the identifying of risks. Are those some of the main risks that that you're seeing, you know, companies uh, looking for right now? And are there other climate risks that you know companies are either thinking a lot about right now or that you you think that uh, companies should be thinking about uh, in addition to you know some of the reporting risks and the regulatory risks that uh, you're either prepping for or that you're helping you know companies really think about using a lot of the data and the analytics that that you're helping put together uh, I, I feel like the number one thing I often tell stakeholders and our uh, partners uh, is, uh, you know, the risk when you think about climate-related impacts, you just start thinking about it more holistically across uh, across ecosystems and across supply chain because you might not be directly impacted uh, in terms of your uh, tangible assets, but your operations might be. So if you're an industrial site, you know, the site might not have uh, direct risk, but uh, the site workers and uh, the materials going into the industrial facility might often be along routes or in locations which are impacted by climate. So having a more holistic view into uh, climate-related risks uh, at a global scale uh, over time horizons, which are more than the next few months, it's kind of what is needed if you want to plan for the future and make better decisions that uh, enable sustainability in a climate 
and they have hashing. No, that, that makes a lot of sense where it's not just one, not just a reporting or regulatory, but it, it's a much more holistic view of, you know, how does all of your operations as a company work together and, and what are all the potential impacts? Um, you know, when we talk about climate, I feel like it, it almost could become, you know, this very hot touch point, you know, because it, it's become almost this probably over politicized thing. You know, do you run into that? Uh, I assume you probably do run into it. You know, how, how do you deal with that? You know, when it comes to either companies or individuals where, you know, it may become either a, a difficult conversation or, or something where you have, you know, maybe opinions that have been formed or uh, you have to kind of overcome, you know, maybe some, some preconceived uh, biases uh, when it comes to climate risks or, or those types of things. Like, are you running into that and how are you dealing with it? Yeah, there are biases. And I think when it comes to, I think this is the piece which is often misunderstood. When it comes to an understanding of the changing climate, most people have been affected either directly or directly by it uh, already where they have an understanding and there is an acknowledgement uh, today compared to 10 years ago. I think the challenge we face is how to incentivize and how to assess economic activity in the context of climate change. I feel like that's the, the, big, the big difference. And there, there's a lot of uh, politicizing. So uh, few fossil fuels, a good thing, uh, or do our electric vehicles a good thing. So there's a live uh, debate around that. Uh, but we've been to some extent insulated by it because we are largely serving physical climate risk data and analytics uh, to a range of different verticals where they've seen it impact their bottom line. So it's no longer a debate uh, on whether the problem is real. It's often a debate around how to solve it and how to account for it and how to think about time frames when it comes to risk adaptation and risk mitigation. Now, we're more and more, well, I think we're very, very deep into the age of you know machine learning and AI. And it's something that obviously we've been talking about for many years and is definitely very recently, uh, you know, coming again into the, the news with a lot of advancements in AI, AI technology and, and, and things that are, are, are becoming much more common use. How are you both viewing, you know, machine learning and AI and, and how are you incorporating those technologies into, uh, you know, what you're using for, uh, for, for climate analytics for, you know, for your company and, and how do you view that as, uh, both helping and impacting, um, you know, what you're doing going into the future. There is a lot of uh, debate around how machine learning related technologies are used in human in environments with significant human impact. Uh, we benefit from the fact that, you know, inherently climate data or climate is a data intensive problem. It requires a lot of compute power, a fair bit of storage. And in environments like that, it's just not humanly feasible to pass through the entire data through a bunch of analysts. So machine learning can help and uh, machine learning powered analytics can help. The way we have had success characterizing our machine learning outputs is along with predicted, predictive capabilities also surfacing 
the tolerance or the uncertainty in the predictions that help a stakeholder make a very fair assessment of what they can do with the predictive analytics. And uh, in climate in particular, I think that's very important because there's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, and unless you take longer time horizons, it's hard to make very accurate predictions in very localized contexts. And uh, that's what that's how we've approached it because we've come into climate analytics with the standpoint that having regional or country level assessments are very limiting. What a business cares about is what's the risk to my group of assets, my sites and my offices and my facilities. And those are points in the global context. So when you make assessments at a highly local uh, setting of climate-related risks, you need to, in order to preserve the accuracy of the system, you need to go to longer time horizons. In a sense, you're trading off uh, space for time. And that's how you get to higher precision uh, machine learning derived capabilities. Right. I want to touch on that uh, well touch on a, a few things that we've talked about a little bit more too um you know building off of both that and what we were talking about a little bit earlier in what do you see as the the ideal output bringing all of those things together so you know you have some of the predictive things that uh you're you're building as far as the analytics and then all of the the output uh, that you're, you're helping to provide to stakeholders and, and to, to companies, you know, what do you really see as the ideal uh, outcomes that you're, you're hoping to drive from all this information? So as you're, you're helping to um, create a lot of these, uh, the analytics and the information and hope, hopefully helping to kind of paint this um, holistic view, you know, what is it that ultimately you're hoping to, uh, help drive as far as some of the outcomes for you know some of these companies that you're you're helping to provide this information to and and as well as the individuals that you, you're working with yeah yeah so i would say you know primarily it's driving a shared understanding uh through data uh into impacts uh into exposure into financial impacts and into potential resilience-based measures uh the eventual output is you know we want to enable every business decision to be climate informed over the next 10 years. And towards the end, we are playing with the, uh, we're working with the early adopters in the space that financial decision-making is happening because when decision impact the bottom line, that's the easiest one to influence uh, if you have the right data and the right motivations uh, with clear actions. So the ideal state would be where uh, business decisions have the necessary tools and the data and the analytics towards making informed decisions. And the understanding is common. It gets distilled down to the new knowledge gets distilled down to pervasive knowledge where everyone understands, okay, this is kind of what the metrics mean. This is what uh, uh, exposure means to a property and means to a business and means to a community at large. Right. Uh, really driving some of those like bigger outcomes as far as both the shared understanding and then, you know, what we can do with some of that shared understanding and the change that it can, that can really be. So I want to 
to kind of talk about some of your broader experience as well, because you've, you've worked at a number of different companies. Uh, you mentioned in, uh, in the intro, uh, Planet Labs, which is an aerospace company, which is super fascinating. And then obviously you've been at a number of other companies as well. I'm, I'm interested in, you know, some of your broader experience, what has been, you know, some of the, over your career, you know, some of the, the key things that, that you have learned both, you know, uh, building up companies, building up teams and, uh, some of the, I guess the key takeaways that you've, uh, you've learned across the space of your career that have both, uh, helped you, uh, in, in what you're doing now and helped you both build your current company as well as help form some of the teams that you've been on. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, my experience has always been coming in from products and from engineering uh, into the business aspect. And that's a fairly direct connection to make because products are like the the engine that drives business, businesses forward and help them grow. Uh, and all other functions connect very uh, aggressively into that, be it marketing, be it sales. Many of the times marketing is the product. Uh, and uh, the product enables the marketing function to be highly effective. So over the course of the last uh, couple of decades, you know, my learnings have been all these different teams within an organization, be they working on marketing, be they working on operations, they're working on growth, uh, commercial growth, uh, or on product and engineering. They all need to have a shared understanding and shared context around the business. And in teams where that exists, uh, you can almost see direct correlation with how successful they are. That's one big piece of learning, which is just creating cohesive, deep context and understanding of what the business does across the functions. It's all teams be better collaborators with one another. The second um, thing I would share is, uh, you know, many of the times when it comes to engineering, we often tend to get very focused on value creation. Hey, this feature will be very interesting. This product must be, must be there in the market. This uh, capability doesn't exist. Let's build it. Uh, so I think the value creation aspect is very native to us. But what we think a little less about is you created value for the customer. But in order for you to be able to sustain that, you need to be able to distribute that value in a sensible way. And that's normally a function of partnerships, growth, marketing, uh, the kind of deals you originally work with, the first few people who, who drive uh, value from your product and your offering. And the third dimension is that of uh, value capture. So you might be able to create a lot of value, but if you don't capture a fraction of that, you can't sustain as a business. So successful businesses powered by creative uh, and skilled engineering and powered by groundbreaking products normally have all three of them. They're not just value creators, they're great value distributors and also great uh, value capturing functions. And uh, I feel like that's the context I would share with uh, product teams uh, to think about all those three dimensions. You, you've touched on a number of really, really good things that I, I think are really critical for successful teams really at any organization being able to kind of like you were, you were mentioning have that shared understanding uh be able to create value for for customers be able to 
uh, then capture that value. As you've gone about creating teams, working with teams, um, how have you both seen uh, really good teams operate? And then how have you helped teams at, at various companies kind of develop a lot of those those qualities from being able to you know, develop a lot of that uh, shared understanding, being able to, you know, uh, deliver, you know, the right value and then being able to kind of capture that value as well as you're really creating a lot of value for users so that you're having the right balance. You know, what, what are some of the things that, that you've seen be successful in helping to build up, uh, these things, both on a, a product team level, as well as a company level? I would say from a product team level, it's just enabling product and engineering functions to be very close to each other and working as one team uh, and being the glue for other aspects of the the company uh, because a big part of their role is enablement. Like no one understands the science or the tech as well as the engineers and the scientists do. Uh, But if other functions don't understand it, like the marketing team doesn't understand, they can't write copy. They can't find the right kind of uh, uh, venues into which to channel the message uh, they can't be uh, genuine in how they present the voice of the customer and the um, the salient features of the product. So I would say that's building close relationships is one thing. That's something I strive to get uh, right within organizations. Uh, and then I would say uh, that connects, it touches into both product as well as like company level functions. Uh, secondly, getting the voice of the customer uh, directly channeled into teams uh, can be very inspiring and can also be very, uh, uh, very uh, uh, idea generating because sometimes the product teams don't have the best ideas, but if they facilitate the flow of information and the flow of signal from the customers downstream to uh, the engineering team, it can lead to a lot of uh, aha moments that lead to new features that lead to greater value creation and through that distribution and through that capture, uh, which enables the company to succeed. Yeah, absolutely. I I've, have also found that uh, bringing in uh, the the voice of the customer and and how however you're able to do that being one of the the most important and one of the su- most successful things whether that's partnering with customers whether that's uh you know going to the customer bringing the customer in however you're able to do that uh, but making sure that you're you're hearing them and listening to them as as frequently as possible because ultimately that is like where you're solving the problems and where you're actually getting the the best and most pertinent information from so Absolutely uh, agree with that 100%. I wanted to ask too about the your experience at at Planet Labs because uh, the largest commercial fleet of, of Earth observation satellites that to me is just absolutely fascinating uh, because you're you're talking about w- what sounds like a massive massive uh, hardware operation and and just um, a lot of probably really really interesting dynamics and really interesting problems to solve. Can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, your, your time there, some of the the challenges that you faced and both how that is 
uh, similar to kind of what you're doing now and maybe some of the different challenges that you face both working at an aerospace company and probably I'm presuming working with a lot of, of hardware and software together. Yeah. I, I would say uh, Planet had a unique blend of like the spacecraft expertise, the software platform expertise, uh, working with those Earth observation data. And uh, the third bit is like analytics expertise. So bringing all those three things together is what makes that company unique. And uh, very thankful for the opportunity to be able to work there and learn from uh, teams as much as uh, teams who are going to learn from me. Uh, I would say the most exciting challenges there were when you're building something like that and enabling a new data capability into uh, markets which have not had that before. The ability to see new use cases emerge on a near monthly basis was very exciting. Secondly, just enabling a longer cycle over which those learnings can happen and over which those use cases can surface were two things that I felt were incredibly valuable for me to see firsthand. And uh, secondly, also learned from what our customers were doing because the early adopters of uh, Earth observation data in their workflows did things that even the data creators did not understand. And uh, through that, there's like a synergistic or symbiotic relationship between the data providers as well as like the data uh, consumers. And we're kind of doing the same. We're kind of going through a similar cycle here at SAS Global, which is, you know, we want to enable the application of climate data sets in many markets, but there are only a couple of markets we understand really well. So if we were to provide it to an academic who's doing research in a specific area, we have no expertise in how they use it. That's new for us. So we are, we are kind of planting the seeds for that sort of a symbiotic relationship ourselves. Uh, and we're seeing some very exciting germination uh, as we speak. So uh, those are some of the learnings I was able to pick up from Planet and apply into how we do things at SAS Global. Awesome. That's, that's super fascinating. I, I always think that obviously, you know, taking any of the the challenges from some, from previous places and then applying them to new ones is a very, very useful exercise. And then especially when it involves so many different dynamic areas of expertise and then kind of bringing them into uh, some of these new areas is both really, really useful and can be a, a really helpful exercise. You've mentioned kind of a couple times, and, and I'm, I'm really kind of fascinated on this to get to get your thinking on this idea of of the early adopters, because, you know, I think that in a lot of our technologies and a lot of our, our products and, and companies and everything, you know, we have a lot of those early adopters and, you know, those very early to their technology and very comfortable with, with using it. And then as we kind of bridge into, you know, a lot of those more mainstream users who are not uh, as maybe as tech savvy or as early, obviously as our early adopters, uh, you know, there is that gap and, 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 you know, we're familiar with, you know, that, you know, kind of that technology gap or the, or that, even that chasm as we call it sometimes, but yeah. how, how do you, how do you view that as, you know, moving from, you know, your, your early adopter group, you know, those very, uh, early users into, 
some of the more mainstream, you know, what, what are some of the challenges that you see and how have you overcome them or how are you overcoming them in order to, you know, make the use case much more mainstream uh, for, you know, both for the analytics, for, you know, adopting climate risk assessment for all of the things that you're kind of working on? Yeah, I, I, I would say there is no, the quick answer is the early adopters provide patterns of usage that can inform the early majority. And getting those patterns of usage documented, enabling case studies, enabling user stories, which are very clear, uh, and that coupled with regulatory or voluntary or stakeholder-led uh, tailwinds can enable businesses to move from the early majority into early adopters and like learn from each other. So that's how, that's the methodology we have followed, which is just make, share enough of our learnings uh, across uh, customer bases so that we're enabling the new set of customers and prospects uh, to see the patterns of usage. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense so that it, as they're, well, as each of them are kind of working, that chasm or that gap becomes a lot more narrow and it is uh, much less of a, a kind of a bridge to go across and, and they're able to, you're able to both take a lot of the learnings from both uh, of those groups. And they're also able to help take a lot of the learnings from each other. Um, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. What's, you know, what, what things are you most excited for or, or what things do you see coming down the pike as far as uh, technology or uh, even, you know, things to do with uh, climate and climate change or climate risk assessment or even more broader technologies that, that you're excited for or that you see coming you know, over the near or midterm? See, I'm, I'm very excited about generative modeling uh, through AI. You know, uh, it's changed the, the nature of the game in aspects like search and knowledge uh, gathering with uh, capabilities like ChatGPT. It's changed the nature of generative images uh, using solutions like Manifold, like um, DALI or uh, using... Uh, uh, other capabilities that exist today in the market uh, that include you know, groups that are doing very interesting things with generative modeling. Uh, I feel like there's a version of that that can be applied to climate-related data and uh, into environmental data as you think about future scenarios that play out based on human activity today. Uh, it requires a lot of finessing and a lot of development, but that's one area we're particularly excited about here at SUS Global. That's a super exciting one as well. I think probably most of us in the technology space right now are super, super excited about a lot of the possibilities there. I know I have been both using and uh, exploring a lot of the potential in a lot of those areas, just in my own uh, personal space and professional space. And it's it feels like we've made a very interesting and intriguing leap and we're just at the very, very forefront of like what is possible right, right now. And I think we're all just trying to figure out like what is possible right now and, and what's, what comes next. And it's a, it feels like a very, very right. exciting time for what is coming next uh, in so many different areas. And, and I don't think any of us know exactly, but it definitely feels like we're at the, yeah. 
the cusp of, of a lot of new things right now. So yeah, that, that definitely agree. Um, what advice would you have for somebody, uh, just starting out or early on in, uh, in their career or looking to kind of level up in, uh, data analytics or, or in any of you know these types of fields? I would say understand uh, users and customers. And I would say uh, keep learning because the space is so dynamic. There's just so much changing. So make learning fundamental to how you operate, uh, how much despite the expertise that you build up over time. And uh, keep talking to the real world uh, as you think about your modeling because uh, models are developed in the virtual world, but deployed in the real world. So you need to bridge that gap. And oftentimes it's the data scientist or the data and the machine learning engineer or the modeler who's in, in the thick of that. Uh, Gopal, it has been an amazing conversation and and really, really appreciate all of your insight and the time that you spent with us. Uh, so thank you again for uh, everything that you have shared with us. It has been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Kyle. Delighted to be here. Thank you all for like tuning in. LinkedIn is the best place to reach me. Uh, we're always seeking like the best talent to work with us on working on these frontier problems at the intersection of uh, uh, earth observation, climate modeling, uh, as well as financial services. So if you're interested in uh, uh, any of the open roles or our products and services, uh, feel free to reach out on LinkedIn uh, or reach us through our website. Perfect. And we'll put all those links in the show notes. Thank you so much, Kyle. Have a good time. Thanks. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll talk again next time. Thanks again for listening. If you like the show, be sure to follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow the show on Twitter at prod by design. That's prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me at Kyle Larry Evans on Twitter as well. If you want more product conversation, check out my newsletter, Product Thinking at productthinking.cc. You can follow me on Medium at Kaya Larry Evans as well, or check out my Medium publication, uh, Product by Design. Thanks again.